This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Annan. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, despite international global condemnation of the Israeli genocide in Gaza and throughout Palestine right now, the Israeli military continues its campaign of genocide in Gaza with over, as we're going on the air right now, with over 10,000 Palestinians in Gaza have been killed, close to 5,000 children. And in a, in a move that is uh, morally kind of catastrophic and the world condemning right now, they have surrounded most of the hospitals in Gaza City, including Al-Shifa Hospital, including uh, uh, Al-Ahli Hospital, and the healthcare system in Gaza has collapsed officially. We know that right now there are 20, probably 26 incubators that are without electricity. One premature baby has died. People are dying in Gaza as we speak because there's no electricity. And Shifa is being surrounded by the Israeli military right now, and a massacre is uh, on the way. Things are catastrophic right now, Jamal. We're going to review this today as part of our show, but before we get there, we're going to watch a really great interview with the anti-apartheid Israeli activist, Dr. Shavit Sinai, who's going to discuss the reasons behind the Hamas attack on the Israeli military bases and settlements. According to Dr. Sinai, the, she, as, as she articulated it, the slaves have rebelled against their masters. Putting this in the context of settler colonialism, she'll also discuss Israel's retaliation and bombing of civilians in Gaza. It's a really great interview. Let's watch uh, Dr. Stavit Sinai. Little more than a month has passed since Hamas's Al-Aqsa flood operation in southern Israel, followed by Israel's immediate declaration of war and the onset of its indiscriminate bombing of Gaza. It has now dropped more than 25,000 tons of bombs, almost double the amount dropped on, on Hiroshima. Over 12,000 Palestinians have been killed, more than 4,000 of them children. Journalists and UN workers have been killed as well as Israel continues its leveling of hospitals, schools, water tanks. Israel also refuses a ceasefire in spite of growing international public outcry against the genocide it is perpetrating on the world stage. Vicious rhetoric from Israeli officials calling for the extermination and expulsion of all Palestinians is becoming normalized. What is the zeitgeist in Israeli society and how does it imagine its future? To discuss this on Arab Talk is Dr. Stavit Sinai. She's an Israeli anti-apartheid activist. She teaches philosophy in Berlin and is the author of The Sociological Knowledge and Collective Identity which is about Israeli sociology and settler colonialism. Welcome back to Arab Talks, Tavit. Thank you so much, Jamal. I'm really happy to be here. So when you were when you were on before, it was to talk about your activism against Israel's occupation and war profiteering, exploiting the occupation. What is your perspective now since October 7 and uh, Israel's retaliation by bombing Gaza? Thank you, Jamal. Well, Israel has experienced a shattering blow, and it seeks revenge. It does not have any purposeful, rational goal other than committing a genocide by which it seeks to recover its sense of superiority. We have to understand that Israel is divided to two classes, that of the Ubermensch and that of the Untermensch. So this shattering blow, it, it experiences really change it, um, the way it perceives itself and the way it perceives the space. And what you could hear after, or even on the day, even on uh, October, uh, the 7th of October, on, on that very day, is a very common phrase which goes in Hebrew, and I translate literally from Hebrew, it says, the conception has failed, and what, like, namely, that the paradigm has failed. And what is that paradigm other than the presumed superiority of Israeli Zionists over the non human, the untermensch, 
namely the Palestinians. So this blow kind of uh, represents a change uh, in the power relation between Israel and the entire imperial West, perceived as invincible and oppressed, the wretched upon the earth, if we borrow Fanon's phrase, or uh, the oppressed, namely the subject of the colonial power. So it is clear that since the beginning of the 21st century, uh, no group of people could accept a foreign rule. And we must keep in mind that Israel uh, was conceived as a colonial power that emerged in the beginning of the age of decolonization. So Israel, from its very origin, was established against the tide of history. And for that very reason, it relies on coercion. It relies on uh, coercive power uh, in order to maintain stability for itself. Because, again, again, no a group of people would accept foreign rule upon themselves in the age of decolonization. So it became, and this is why it became more and more militarized, partly because this is the only way it can uh, overcome the illegitimacy of the entire undertaking. So basically what, what, I, what I can contribute to the conversation, and I very much agree with Norman Finkelstein that um, this is a rebellion. And this is a rebellion that is very reminiscent, very uh, similar to that. Uh, we can we can we can compare it to the slave rebellion, um, the Nate Turner slave rebellion, and to see, I believe that there is a common response, uh, a shared like common affinities between the way the slave masters responded to the Nate Turner rebellion, which was completely. Uh, um, not practical, right? Because the masters have slaughtered every slave they saw, every slave they, they, every slave they caught. But in a sense, that rebellion, that kind of attempt to, to resist the colonial power is embedded within, it's inherent within the political structure of apartheid. And this is the end result of the colonial project. And it cannot it cannot gain stability for itself without relying on force and without relying on the systematic annihilation of the colonial subjects, namely the Palestinians. And I say that with a very heavy heart. So, but just as just like in the U.S., there was no way of preventing slaves from uh, uprising, and just as there is no way of preventing people living in a concentration camp from resisting. Uh, and Gaza is the biggest concentration camp in the world, according to Baruch Kimmerling, an Israeli sociologist. So just as there's no way of preventing people living under such uh, conditions from resisting, this kind of circle of violence and repression is bound to, to recur. So Israel seeks nothing that stands within reason or logic. It seeks revenge, and it is... Indeed, what it has managed to to do in Gaza in the last few weeks, which is atrocious, atrocious, and beyond beyond words. And I I would like to take this opportunity also also to send my solidarity to my friends uh, who have lost relatives and 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 are living within a nightmare basically. So this kind of act, our cowardly triumph which is well becoming of a nation of oppressors. And well, what we see with those call for those calls for genocide in Israeli society is flooded with seek, uh, attempts to seek revenge and genocidal rhetoric. And just like as the plague masters were morally deprived, so is Israel is a morally bankrupt and spiritually spiritually defeated nation. The only way it could survive as a normal society is to abandon its claim of exclusivity that forced it to become an apartheid state and to uh, render equal rights for everybody and, of course, to stop the genocide. So just uh, a little bit more than a month ago, uh, Israel was in a civil upheaval, uh, upheaval 
due to Netanyahu's dismantling of its uh, democracy. How has this, this has changed? Uh, um, uh, what's happening now in Gaza? Did it buttress Netanyahu in any way? I mean, a month ago, he was a done deal. He was finished. And now, all of a sudden, he's received by world leaders and Biden flying into Tel Aviv and followed by the prime minister of the of Britain and so on. How's that have affected his popularity in within the Israeli society? Well, I don't believe it has changed in its status in any way because the whole judicial overhaul was never about democracy, was never about changing the structure of the state, the political structure of the state, because Israel was never a democracy. So the whole kind of inner conflict within Israeli society is something that I see as completely irrelevant, whether there would be, uh, whether the, the Supreme Court would have less or more authority. And we have to keep in mind that this is the Supreme Court that approved the practice of torture, a practice that was forbidden in the 18th century, way before the Zionist movement was ever conceived. So this court, in my view, is completely illegitimate. There was not even one judge that objected that decision of, of approving that practice of torture. And the whole affair, the whole, uh, the, the whole kind of inner conflict concerning the judicial system is completely irrelevant. I see it as a total distraction, and I believe that Netanyahu also uses it as a distraction from from its own uh, desperate political status and situation. He's been he's uh, completely um, he's he's deep within legal within his own legal affairs. He's afraid of prison, uh, obviously, basically, which is something that us activists are not afraid of, and therefore I, I believe we are more powerful than Netanyahu in that sense, because we are not afraid of going to prison for the right reason. Um, but he's a man who is indeed in despair, and he does, I mean, I think it's a very common opinion. He's, he does whatever he needs to do in order to survive politically, but I think that still, that, that whole affair is completely doesn't matter. It has no meaning because Israel was never a democracy. Uh, whether the judicial system has one one form or another is completely irrelevant because the entire undertaking is built on an illegal system of apartheid, which is constituted as a crime against humanity in itself. So now this this so-called war, and it's not a war because you cannot gain gain. Um, fight a war against, I mean, Gaza is not a foreign nation, right? It is a part occupied by Israel itself. So this so-called war is indeed a distraction from the inner conflict of Israel and something that is very, that has, uh, that is very similar of the, the, the city of Sparta, which was usually united in front of a foreign enemy. So this is, this is what I, uh, referred to earlier as Israel being a morally defeated nation and war is what renders it its sense of meaning and this is what unites it in order to kind of distract it from the inner conflict but again in my view it is something uh, that is meaningless. So uh, talking about uh, activists going to prison Israel is becoming increasingly fanatical in policing thought and censoring any criticism or dissent by Israelis and, of course, Palestinians. One example is the suspension of Nurit Peled Lehenan from a college in Jerusalem because she made a remark contextualizing Hamas's attack within the occupation. She is a highly respected professor who was awarded the Sakharov Prize for Human Rights. Ben Gavir has his staff coming social media for any signs of uh, dissent by Palestinians, which can result in their immediate arrest. Uh, Ahed Tamimi is, uh, is another example, and we could go on. And this morning, I 
saw also a school teacher uh, who was arrested, uh, you know, for saying the wrong thing or saying don't kill children in Gaza. Is this affecting Israeli society? Are they bothered now that Israel is turning more and more into a police state? You cannot even criticize the government for genocide? Well, I believe they, if they do, they have woke up, woken up way too late because that has been the case for the last decade where uh, um, critical voices have been suppressed and now they're ever more suppressed and we see practices against Jewish citizens um, being arrested, being charged. We even see acts, uh, charges being raised against parliament members. So, but this is, this is nothing of that is new. It's just being uh, exacerbated. It's just being um, that, that tendency is even more powerful at the moment because this is a moment of crisis. And Israel, as I said, it seeks revenge and it also seeks to, it seeks to purify the entire space and also from within. So, but none of that, as I said, none of that is really new. Um, it's just became much more dangerous for citizens to speak up. Citizens, of course, privileged, privileged citizens, of course. Um, so, but, but it's needless to say that it is a duty to speak up and it's a duty to, to resist those best bestial crimes committed in Gaza. And in fact, nobody needs to seek no permission to speak up, neither in Israel, especially now. History has taught us that in times of genocide and upheaval, we must speak up. And the same, co the same goes to the um, oppressive state of Germany, which silenced voices, including uh, Jewish residents, Jewish citizens within Germany. And the same goes to France and the same goes to the UK. So, but we have to keep in mind that we need to seek no permission to speak up and resist those crimes. It is our duty. And the regime has, the Israeli regime, the illegitimate Israeli regime, has been oppressing people and citizens in the last 10 years. I myself had to leave Israel in order to, to flee political persecution, exactly because of those tendencies to just a wave of racism and fascism and and persecution became so, so strong that uh, individuals cannot stand it, uh, not alone. So, uh, but again, uh, this is uh, nothing new. This is the very nature of the apartheid regime in order to sustain itself and its legitimacy, which is completely illegitimate. It has to suppress not just the native people of Palestine, the Palestinians, but it also has to suppress critical voices. So uh, talking about that, you mentioned Germany and you mentioned the UK um, and France and other countries, but here, right here in the US, uh, there's a massive mobilization against Israeli onslaught of Gaza, especially by younger people. This time, it's not only Palestinians, but a broad range of people, including anti-Zionist Jews, mobilizing for a ceasefire and condemning Israel. To counter that, Zionists both here and in the Israeli media are defining, defining these Jews as traitors and terrorists. Even, even um, the non-Jews also, they're being called the same thing. Are we seeing a new definition of, of Jewish by the Zionists? Who's, who's a Jew and who's not a Jew? Well, I'm frankly not concerned, I mean, by, by what Zionists define or not defining, I don't believe we should respect all opinions. I believe we should respect only the honest opinions. I absolutely, I, I, I have a complete disrespect of the Zionist regime and uh, a regime that has blood on its hand for, for the last 75 years. The way it defines, the way it addresses people, the way it attends and and tag people in certain mark people in certain political definition is none of my concern and i don't trouble myself with that of course like the, the freedom fighters of south africa were also considered terrorists and yet history has shown us 
different. It has shown us that those who've been um, oppressed and were in pursuit of freedom have eventually more triumphant. And this is what history shows us, that the pursuit of freedom is stronger than any oppressive power, and that even the greatest military power in the world, namely the U.S., has lost the Vietnam War. It has lost a war against people that were basically an agrarian society, and they, they still were, were not able to to win that war and that's because it had no moral grounds and societies that don't have a spiritual backbone and a, a moral a moral base will eventually decline and this is what i believe is happening now in israel we see a decline uh it is it is the shattering blow it has received is not just a material one uh, it is also a mental one. It is a devastating, a devastated nation. And so the way it defines its political enemy is none of my concern. It is obvious that it's going to use whatever tactics it can. This is, this is the meaning of being one's political enemy. Your opinion on, on the end game for Gaza, uh, does it seem like getting the hostages released is a priority? Is Israel concerned about the, the hostages uh, are Israel and the United States exploiting Hamas's attack to ethnically cleanse all of Gaza and reoccupy it. And are they succeeding? Definitely, I believe they are using the hostages as a kind of an excuse to ethnically cleanse Gaza and to reoccupy it and to expand the colonial project. Whether they are genuinely deep to release the hostages, I really don't know. Um, I, I really cannot tell you that because on one hand, every, every individual, every Jewish individual in Israel is considered, of course, the life of the Jews is highly valued in Israeli society. So this is why I believe they might, that that might be a, a kind of main consideration but at the same time, there are other voices or actual the practices of bombarding Gaza to oblivion that shows that Israel does not seek the, the, the kind of the release of the hostages because it is, it seems that they are themselves in the risk. Living within the society of Gaza means that they are also subject to the privation of water and food. So I really can, cannot tell you because on one hand, one hand, as I said, Jewish lives are highly valued and at the same time, the kind of practices Israel is using does not show that this is its main goal. And in fact, I believe, well, what Israel is doing in Gaza is madness. It is madness in the very, um, madness in the sense that it, it conducts a completely irrational act of destruction. I mean, the, the death toll and the kind of the crime of starving the population, starvation, the collective punishment of Gaza, which is in 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 like the kind of scope we've never seen, is madness in the sense that they they believe that what what they see as truth is in fact an error, and what they see as reality is in fact a lie, and what the the kind of violence they exert, which is. Ugly. This is something that this is human. This is what the ugliness the humanist the human can produce. But they perceive that form of violence as beauty and justice. So this is the definition of madness, according to let's say uh, Michel Foucault, when they perceive reality not as not what it is, but as as the complete opposite. So this is this is the kind of what drives them. So. Whether they wish to, to release the hostage, I really cannot tell you. But we have to also attend to the two, uh, two and a half million of hostages, hostages that are currently imprisoned within the concentration camp of Gaza. They are themselves hostages of Israel. And they are the ones that have no rights, that they are not protected by any, any convention, by any international power. And they are the ones that, that needs to be released from from the colonial power that has been to which they've been subjected for so 
for, for many decades. Israel seems to think that uh, they can just continue to bury the occupation and ethnic cleansing of Palestinians, and their only solution is bombs, as you've mentioned, and, and war. It seems incapable of negotiating a just peace. What kind of future do Israelis have to look forward to without a drastic change? I mean, do they just want to maintain the status quo, keep... Uh, uh, you know, superiority over um, half the population between the Jordan River and the sea and expect people not to rebel because you talked about a rebellion or maybe this is this will shift some minds perhaps to start thinking about a peaceful solution. Well, I believe that Israel is seeking to deepen the structure of apartheid, it is not going to usher in any change. It is, if at all, it's going to deepen its oppressive power and it can do so with the imperial backings it receives from the US, from Europe, which are not less complicit in the crimes Israel is committing. They are the one providing the weapons. So if at all, if Israel seeks Anything at all is to um, maximize the kind of the, the profit from this war. And we have to keep in mind that Israel is one of the biggest military industries in the world. And of course, Elbit Systems against which Palestine action in the, based in the UK and elsewhere uh, around the world is fighting against. Is, uh, Elbit System is Israel's number one private arms company. And it is the major profiteer of this war. Um, it's not only testing weapons on Gaza, but also work in tandem with the Israel oppressive forces to provide solutions, to provide new products, new commodities of war, and basically expand the war machine and make a huge profit out of it. So if at all, if Israel seeks anything at all other than restore it own, its own sense of superiority, its own advantage, is also to uh, enhance the profit and basically e expand individual profit. Well, since you started talking about Elbit and uh, you have played a key role in activism, uh, preventing it from doing business as usual, do you think uh, what you're doing and, and your... Uh, comrades have been doing is making a difference i am i i it's not what i, I don't think i know that it, it does make a difference because palestine action has managed to shut down two factories by now the one in oldham which elbit has to sell at a loss it also managed to shut down the elbit headquarter in the center of london where they used to bring all their posh friends and show them around. Um, so that that one is shut down. LB System has already, have already lost a major contract with the UK Ministry of Defense, 280 million pounds worth of contract that Palestine Action is directly uh, responsible for. So all of this does make a difference, and I believe that while the discursive field, namely when people talk and converse and even like argue with each other, is a sphere which is very much, it's very dynamic, it's changing, it's constantly changing and it's very much bound. Uh, it, is, um, it is a field of power where somebody's opinion um, is attached to one's power and social status. So that sphere is very dynamic and it's basically has very little effect in in practice, but unlike direct action, which where people actually decide to take action and cutting the middleman and not appealing to the authorities and seek permission, but rather go themselves and sh actually shutting down the war machine. So that does make uh, um, that's, that, that has effect in, in real life, unlike the discursive field where man is the measure of all, um, of truth and 
So absolutely, I do believe that direct action is the only thing that really matters. It's the only thing that has practical effect in reality. And it's the only thing that has proven useful and efficient. There is definitely a, a split between governments and people, as we have observed um, on a global level. Hundreds of thousands of people demonstrating in European capitals and, of course, in the United States. Yet you have the governments who line up behind uh, Joe Biden and the United States to basically help Israel and condemn um, Palestinians, and they don't even call for a ceasefire. Do you see any hope in that, that now you're seeing the masses or the grassroots movements across the globe not paying attention to their governments? I believe that despite of all, despite of everything, despite of the oppressive power to which citizens are subjected, people do have a sense of consciousness and they do see what's happening in Gaza and they would not approve of a genocide of a people. As I said, nobody would approve that in the age of decolonization. Uh, of course, that uh, unless they are a uh, total human scum, right? So and I, I believe that people do have some kind of, they have a sense of conscientiousness and that they pursue justice and freedom and that they would not agree uh, to the kind of atrocities that Israel is committing. So that is indeed very encouraging to see that people stand in defiance of their governments and going on the streets and protesting. They said, I believe that the most efficient form of protest is direct action, namely uh, to act and not just to protest um, because governments are invested within the military industry. They have an interest of prolonging the war, of perpetuating the war, and they would not listen to their citizens. But nevertheless, nevertheless, it does have an effect and people have to show their dissent. Well, what's uh, most impressive is uh, really seeing people like yourself and young Jewish people across the globe, uh, Jewish Voice for Peace right here in the United States, uh, you know, making their voices heard, heard, but there is a price, as you've mentioned. Uh, yeah. You yourself um, left Israel uh, because of harassment. Is Israel splitting the Jewish community? Israel has never unified the Jewish community. It has always been... Um, just a very conflation of Judaism and Zionism has caused tremendous damage to to Jews all over the world. It has made them an object of racism. Um, it has put them in risk. That's what I was going to ask you about next, because yeah. we are seeing yeah. an uptick in anti-Semitism. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there is like the famous story of the boy who cried wolf. Uh, and Israel is, was crying anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism for a very long time since its very inception. And that is, and often it has been like a false call, um, a false alert. And, and by doing that, it has actually encouraged more racism against Jews. And so crying wolf, to some extent, is being pro-wolf. And uh, so... Yeah, it is uh, indeed created uh, more risk for for Jews, and well, that's that's it's very that's that what stands within its essence, right? This is this is how it operates by falsely producing a sense of hatred and racism against Jews, and uh, then basically trying to gain the kind of monopoly over the Jewish world. Although that in itself, assuming the Jews are Zionist and they all have to live uh, within a certain place, is in itself racist. Now, we have to also keep in mind, of course, racism. I mean, I'm, I'm also like, I'm, I'm, my family has survived the Holocaust. My own parents were born in the end of the world, in the end of the, the Second World War. 
And so there's no no need of preaching me the kind of, of telling me uh, or educating me about the kind of suffering that Jews endure. And nevertheless, the kind of conclusion that Israel has drawn from the Holocaust is not a conclusion that is anti-racist, namely that racism is a bad thing and one should fight racism and move toward a universal politics. No, they have drawn the exact opposite conclusion, namely that the Jews, uh, that the turns of his, that the wheels of history has, have turned and the Jews now are the Ubermensch. They used to be on the bottom of history and now they're on top. And that is the exact a uh, very uh, false conclusion and a very devastating one. And it stands in the essence of the entire racist project that Israel constitutes. Now, uh, of course, Israel weaponizes, utilizes anti-Semitism, actual racism that does exist uh, within Europe, although it is not as significant as other forms of racism and misogyny and xenophobia and Islamophobia um, that are very prevalent in Europe and the Western world. So we have to keep that in mind. Also, yeah, as I said, the very conflation between Zionism and Judaism is very destructful of the Jewish religion and the attempt to see the Jewish religion as a form of nationalism is in itself devastating. Uh, is It's in itself an act I see it as a violent act to take a religion, a system of belief, and to convert it, to transform it into a kind of national set of ideas or practices is blasphemous to, to the Jewish belief. And there's no wonder that we have our Orthodox comrades who are fighting against that and are standing with us as anti-Zionists supporting Palestine. So I believe that no state has any right to tell its citizens what they ought to believe and what they ought to think and what their interests are. Savit Sinai, pleasure as always to speak with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you uh, for coming uh, on Arab Talk. Thank you, Jamal. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Let me just finish by saying that right is on our side and that our spirit has not befallen and we will win that war against those forces who are seeking to oppress us and and freedom will prevail. Absolutely. <laughs> Ciao. That's Dr. Stavit Sinai discussing uh, from her perspective the reasons and the cultural context and historical context behind the uh, Israeli uh, genocide in Gaza right now. She's basically describing Jamal, what we've been describing for years, right? A settler colonial uh, occupation of historic Palestine. And this is what happens when, when quote, the slaves uh, rebel, rebel against the slave master. This is a pretty compelling analysis. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And if you remember, uh, she was a guest on our show a couple of times, and she's one of the uh, activists who try to shut down Elbit Systems, that's the Israeli weapons manufacturer. In fact, she was uh, put in jail in Germany where she teaches, and then she was exonerated, and, uh, and then then again now she is waiting a trial in England, uh, which is right. coming uh, in, in, um, in January. Uh, there were trial of uh, other people who participated in demonstrations and shutting down Elbit uh, weapons manufacturer, and they were all exonerated. So uh, her trial is coming up. That's just the latest update, and we'll find out. But, but basically what she's saying for people like her, an Israeli who has an awakening and understood later on that everything that she was taught was based on lies and, um, and what's happening there is settler colonialism just, that it has become impossible for her to live in the country because, as we've seen as of recently, if you criticize the Israeli government or sympathize with Palestinians as Palestinian children, just like uh, three days ago, a, uh, a school teacher was uh, arrested for saying that they should stop 
the genocide Israel for her kind of people, and I'm using this, so that's how they describe it, is now ha it has become intolerable. So it's, it's, it's amazing. And of course, it's very brave on, 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 you know, of her and others who think the same way as we've seen in demonstrations throughout the, uh, the world, including the United States, Jewish Americans who are marching hand in hand with Palestinians and other uh, communities um, asking to, to, to stop this genocide that uh, Biden basically refused to do so. That's exactly right, Jamal. And I think the kind of irony, painful kind of irony is that despite the world kind of standing up and demanding a ceasefire and an end to this genocide, you have the Biden administration and the Israeli government continuing to advocate and push for uh, a basically an attack on not just Palestinian civilians, but the ongoing genocide and death of Palestinian children. The devastation that's being brought right now to the healthcare infrastructure, physicians being killed, nurses being killed, uh, children basically die, I mean, babies, premature babies dying in incubators. This is the state of the world. And when brave Israelis, brave Jews, stand up and say, no, not in our name to this genocide, they're being arrested, and they're being. And this is this is the irony part of it. These Israelis and these Jews are being called anti-Semitic for saying stop the murder, do ceasefire, and this kind of hypocrisy, this kind of crazy Hasbara propaganda is sweeping the apartheid state and parts of the Biden administration. It's uh, frankly bizarre. Yeah, and, and now where we're at, uh, you've mentioned in the intro more than 10,000 Palestinians, actually it's more than, more than 11,000 Palestinians have been killed, uh, and probably the numbers are going as uh, up as we're speaking. But after all 35 days, basically, of, of, of bombing uh, Gaza, the United States uh, facilitated uh, a, a daily four-hour humanitarian pause but no, would, one buys, no one buys that. No uh, one buys that. No, it's, well, a, it's a joke. They don't want to cease fire, but just to, to give you an, 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 a pause to allow civilians basically to flee northern, northern Gaza for the safer, safer places in the south and to let truck clothes in, while at the same time those civilians are, are getting bombed and, and killed on their way. And so the, right. the head, I think, of the uh, UN mission there or the owner was it's impossible in four hours to bring enough uh, aid into Gaza through the Rafah border that's, or the Rafah crossing. That's what they designated for because the uh, Rafah was designed and built for pedestrian crossing. It's not built for trucks to begin with. And, and then how much can you uh, basically bring in, in in four hours? And now the World Health Organization, which you said, uh, said it reported that 20 out of the 36 hospitals in Gaza are no longer functioning. They've shut down. And that the 16 that continue to operate are providing only uh, the bare minimum service. And, and, and uh, the Israeli tanks, as of yesterday, have surrounded Al-Shifa Hospital. So they're just within meters from Al-Shifa Hospital. Well that's, well, that's right, Jamal. And I think it's important for our listeners and viewers to know that the so-called pause is a big joke. Because if you read the details of the pause, uh, all they're really saying is that they're going to stop the uh, the dropping of the 1,000 and 2,000 pound bombs. They haven't stopped the shelling. They haven't stopped the gunfire. Civilians during the so-called pause are still being targeted. And, and perhaps the most painful image that I've seen so far among all of the images was an image of a 90-year-old Palestinian woman from Gaza City who is being carried out basically on a, you know, on a walker. And she was saying, I was ethnically cleansed in 1948 as a 15-year-old, and here I go again. So this is the Nekba uh, 2023, Jamal. Let's not make any mistake about this. There are hundreds of thousands of Palestinians, a million internally displaced, but hundreds of thousands who are living uh, underneath the sky or in tents right now. And so 50% of the buildings, the uh, civilian uh, buildings uh, in Gaza right now, 
you know, where people live, housing units have been utterly destroyed. The situation calls for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. But the Biden administration, and we need to call it out, the Biden administration continues to argue against that. And it's important to know that even Emmanuel Macron goes to uh, Netanyahu and says, stop killing women and children. And what does Netanyahu say? We will continue the bombing. We will not stop. So this tells you the level of war crime that is being publicly uh, displayed in the world community. And nobody can talk to the apartheid regime of Israel and get it to come into the, the world of morality. No, they're not listening, Jamal. So when you said the Nakba uh, 2023, you were 100% correct just because, I think this is the funny thing about Zionists. They keep lying. They say something, and, and the second day they say something else. So Avi Dichter, who is Israel's minister of, uh, of agriculture and the former head of the Shin Bet, he was on an interview on Israeli TV, and these are his words. And he said, uh, when the host asked, we are now actually rolling out the Gaza Nakba. He, you know, he, he said, this is, this is, we're, we're having, we had the, and, and, and the funny thing about it, I said, lightly funny in a way, it's not really funny, but these are the same people who deny that there was a Nakba in 1948. You know, exactly. all these 75 years of Hasbara, the Nakba never happened. Now they're saying we are creating the, the new Nakba or, or Nakba 2.0 or whatever they, they want to call it. But that, that's exactly what's happening because everything is pointing out to what Israel is trying to do is ethnically cleanse the Gaza Strip, take more land. And after they finish, because I've been speaking with the people on the ground in the, in the West Bank and in Gaza, and then people in, 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 in a colleague uh, told me it's just once they're finished with uh, Gaza, they're moving on to in, into the West Bank because now they had the Arab summit, Arab slash uh, Muslim summit. And of course, it's all just uh, rhetoric and words and whatever. They're not just Charades. 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 Yeah. It's yeah, a they, they just like to have photo ops. So, so they have nice photo ops. But basically... Um, the, the, even including the United States, they're saying if Hamas, if, and that's a big if, if Israel manages to get rid of Hamas in Gaza, then they want Mahmoud Abbas and they want the Palestinian Authority to go there. Well, guess what? Netanyahu said, no, that's not going to happen. He said, we, no, right. we are going to be in control and they, they put it under other security. We're going to be, we are in charge of the security in Gaza, which means the occupation of, of Gaza. So I think that's right, Jamal, and I think part of the, the thing that we have to encourage our listeners and our viewers to be clear about is the absolute, uh, the absolute lies that are coming out of the Israeli military and through the Prime Minister Netanyahu's mouth. We and no one can believe a word that they say. This is ethnic cleansing. This is genocide. This is an attempt to depopulate Gaza and move to the West Bank, as you say. We haven't even talked about the hundreds of Palestinians that have been killed in the West Bank since October 7th, or the thousands that have been arrested, or the total lockdown that's going on in Jerusalem and the West Bank. Make no mistake, and we need to be very clear to the world community, this is uh, Nekba 2023, not just in Gaza, but in the West Bank and Jerusalem, and we need to call it out for what it is. And I, I think also, Jamal, the so-called Arab leaders and then the European leaders who are turning their backs on the civilians and the indigenous people of Palestine, the Palestinians right now, you are on the wrong side of history. You've, you've left the moral moment. You had an opportunity to kind of confront and stand on the right side of history and do the right thing morally. You are all bankrupt. Well, they see it with their, they're seeing it with their own eyes when you have demonstrations across the globe. Look what happened a couple of days ago in London, the largest demonstration in London that they haven't yeah, seen something exactly. like this for many years. Demonstrations in Barcelona, demonstrations in, in, in Spain, demonst I mean, uh, demonstrations in every single basically capital, including, of course, Washington, D.C. It just again re and then over and over reinforces the fact that there is a, you know, Two separate words now. You have the masses who are 
uh, supporting the Palestinian plight, and you have these corrupt governments who are sticking with the genocidal apartheid regime, which is Israel, and supporting Benjamin Netanyahu, who doesn't even have the support of his own country, only temporary now, because just like a month ago, they were all demonstrating in Tel Aviv against him. And then now you get Macron after he went there and hugged Netanyahu and gave him the green light. After he, he was shown, I'm sure, by his aides, the, the picture and death and destructions and, and the dead children, he said, oh, wait a minute, maybe they're overstepping what we authorized them to do, you know? So, so listen, do not believe Antony Blinken. Do not believe Joe Biden. Do not believe... Do not believe Macron. Do not believe the anything you hear from these leaders. And they will look back on this time, Jamal, as uh, giving a green light to genocide, and they will carry the moral burden of ignoring this genocide among Palestinians. And for this, they will go down in history as being morally uh, bankrupt at this uh, uh, crisis at this moment. And I, I'm, I'm sorry to keep saying this, Jamal, but Joe Biden, because of this uh, failure of moral clarity is probably going to lose the 2024 election. I, I think that's, and we're going to continue to cover that and talk about that in the coming years. But this is such a failure of moral leadership of Joe Biden and Antony Blinken. I believe it's going to cost them the election. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download the latest shows, and we'll talk to you next week. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.